This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Well, Sharon and I have been reading a series of books this summer about a made-up town in North Carolina called Mitford. And uh, the whole series revolves around an Anglican priest by the name of Father Timothy and his wife, Cynthia. And like any good series, it sort of leaves you hanging from chapter to chapter, so it's like you end a chapter, and it's kind of like, oh, let's read one more. Let's see, you know, it sort of leaves you hanging. And from book to book, it does the same thing. Well, as I get ready to finish off this two-year series called The Story today, it seems like the Bible does something similar. It leaves you hungering for more, wanting to see how God's plan is really going to unfold. And the book of Revelation, which is where we'll be at today, it provides some of those details that other prophetic books didn't provide in the Old Testament and the New And it also gives a little bit of a chronological order to the end times as well. Well, For the last two years, uh, we've looked at the first three parts of this story, creation, fall, and rescue. The rescue actually was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and continued on until the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ where it was accomplished. And when he returns, it'll be fully complete, and then the restoration will begin. So today, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at the restoration, the fourth part of the story. And the restoration comes, though, after God's righteous judgment is revealed. And I want to look at a couple passages here in Romans. I think we might have them on the screen, but if you want to turn to Romans chapter 1, you're welcome to do so. Some verses that just talk about this righteous judgment and this the day of wrath. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invis- invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And then Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, he says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 
but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And we will see this day of wrath revealed in the book of Revelation. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you have loved us, you have created us, you have redeemed us in Christ. And you promise to restore us, to make all things new. Father, may we look forward to the promises of your word. May we hear it. May we read it. May we keep it. May we cling to it. May we put our hope and our trust and our reliance upon you and your word. And may you give us joyful hearts, ready to serve, anticipating, waiting your glorious return. Give us the vision today, Lord, that you gave to the the Apostle John. Help us to be caught up to the scenes in heaven to see the day of wrath that you unleash on the earth, on sin, Satan, and death and the glorious return of Christ and the restoration, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Thank you for the lamb that was slain. Thank you for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Whenever you hear the news about a mass shooting or a nuclear test of some kind or the number of civilians that were killed in a combat zone or the number of murders in Indianapolis or Chicago over the weekend, do you wonder if all the madness will ever come to an end? I think we all hope and pray for world peace, but the Bible tells us very clearly there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace returns and begins his righteous rule and reign upon the earth. Until then, things are just going to get worse. But that's why the last few words of the book of Revelation can be so encouraging. Revelation 22.20 says, He, referring to Jesus, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. And then the apostle John responds by saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And Franklin City Church said, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, last month we saw um, the outline to the book of Revelation in chapter 1, verse 19. So if you're not in Revelation, please turn to the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. And look at chapter 1, and verse 19 gives us the outline. And we actually covered the first two parts of the outline last month. So we only have one part to cover today. It would be fairly simple. We've done in no time. Chapter 1, verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. So the things that John saw was the glorified Christ in chapter 1. The things at that point that are or were current at that point in time were the letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. 
Today, what we're going to look at are the things that will take place after the current church age in chapters 4 through 22. And since there's way too much to share and talk with you about in those chapters, I've decided to focus on seven truths that I think will change your life. Sound good? Seven truths. All right? First truth. Blessings are promised to those who, he, to hear, who hear, read, and keep what is written in this book. Now, not every book of the Bible promises that, but in Revelation it promises if you will hear this book, if you'll read it and you'll heed the prophecies that are there, you'll be blessed. Now look at chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Uh, chapter 22, verse 7 basically says the same thing. It says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So if there is such a great blessing in hearing this book, reading this book, and keeping the prophecies of this book, how many of you have read Revelation all the way through? You don't have to raise your hand, but thank you, Zeke, for that hand. I appreciate it. <laughs> How many of you have read it more than once all the way through? How many of you read it all the way through on a yearly basis? I'm thinking if there's blessing from hearing, reading, and keeping the prophecy and the words of Revelation, if you want to be blessed... God just says, read this book, keep this book, pay attention to this book. You won't figure it all out, but keep studying it, all right? So how will this truth change your life? You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. That's how this book will change your life. Second truth of Revelation, the Lord God is worthy of our worship and praise and adoration. He's worthy of all that we have for all of him. All right, go to chapter 4. Chapter 4 and 5 are, are the heavenly scenes that, that uh, the angel calls John to come up into heaven and to observe what's going on in heaven. And look at chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. We're just talking about the worthiness of the Father and, and the Son of receiving worship. Chapter 4, verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And go to the next chapter, chapter 5, and look at verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, which is thousands of thousands. And they all sang with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Ever just been singing or reading your Bible or in prayer and just feel an urge to fall down? I've felt that urge a few times. I've actually obeyed that urge a few times. Now, I can be a little bit demonstrative in my worship, but I wasn't always that way. I was a good Presbyterian for most of my years and maybe moved into the Baptist mode once I actually came to know Jesus. But in 1993, uh, I was pastoring in California in Vacaville, and uh, I'd been there a couple, I guess this was probably my third year there, and I've heard about this promise keeper movement, these guys meeting in, you know, stadiums and stuff. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go check this out because one of my responsibilities there at the church in Vacaville was overseeing men's ministries. And I thought, well, if this is a, if the Holy Spirit's sort of creating a men's movement, like guys get up out of your seats, let's go do something together, like worship the Lord, then I wanted to be a part of it. And I wanted to bring our church into that movement. So I went, and the first few days... Uh, was in the basketball arena. I guess this was f- sort of a leadership part of the conference. And so you had a lot of pastors and elders and people like that that were there, about 5,000 of us. But the days after that moved to the football stadium, and there were 50,000 guys. It was the first time they had filled a whole stadium in, in this PK movement. During that time, God taught me that there are a lot of different forms of worship. Sometimes it is raising your hands. Sometimes it's just quietly thinking about the words and the truth and allowing God to do a, a mighty work in your heart. And sometimes it is falling down or getting to your knees or whatever it might be. But during that, during that uh, time in the basketball arena, after we had just finished an incredible time of worship and praise, and you could just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' name was being lifted up, and the Holy Spirit came down. And one guy on the floor got up out of his seat. He started running around the outside of the basketball arena and giving high fives to all the guys. And guys were putting their hands out, and he did that two or three times. And I thought, that right there, that's worship. You might have just thought it was some crazy guy running around a basketball arena. But you knew if you were there at that time, this guy was worshiping God. And it was during that conference that the Holy Spirit set me free to be a true worshiper. Not that I'm always hearing the Holy Spirit, not that I'm always, you know, in that mode, but he set me free just to express my love and worship to the Lord. When we recognize the truth that God is worthy, He's worthy, He's worthy. 
Wouldn't you really believe that? Then it sets you free to really worship and to not worry about whoever else might be around. That's how this truth will change your life. The third truth is this. The world and the things of this world are going to be judged and they're going to be destroyed. Go to chapter 6. Now, because of, again, our limited time that we have here today, in chapter 6, we see this judgment begin. It begins with what are called the seal judgments. In chapter 5, we're introduced to this scroll that nobody in heaven or earth could open. But finally, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus is able to open the scroll. And each time one of those seven seals is unsealed, a judgment comes upon the earth. And then when you come to chapters 8 and 9, you come to what are called the trumpet judgments. And there are seven angels, and each of them has a trumpet. And each time one of the angels blows the trumpet, then all hell breaks loose. The wrath of God is poured out upon Satan, upon a sinful world. And these, these judgments just keep intensifying. They, they go from bad to worse. This is the day of wrath. It's not a single day, but it's a period of time that Paul referred to in Romans and that we see being unleashed here in the book of Revelation. And then as you go to chapter 16, see how quickly we're going through this book? You didn't believe me when I told you. In chapter 16, we come to what's called the bowl judgments. And it's just like a bowl. And each time the, 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 the bowl is tipped over and the wrath of God is poured out, Again, judgment comes. And I want to read through this chapter. And I want you just to kind of see what some of these judgments are that begin to destroy the earth. So look, chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. See, God is a loving God, but God is also a just God. And when people have not received Christ, and God has not forgiven their sins through Christ, then justice demands a payment for sin. When we come to Christ, we receive Christ as that payment. Our debt's been paid by him. But the world and those who don't, God has to be just. It's what they deserve. It's what all of us deserve, right? And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. 
They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. See, even in the midst of these judgments, in the midst of these plagues, in the midst of God's wrath, they still have an opportunity to repent. But they did not repent and give him glory. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, the Antichrist, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. In other words, all the judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake the great city, speaking of Jerusalem, was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe." One of the reasons the book of Revelation is good to read because it just kind of sobers us up. Helps us to realize that this world is passing away. And at this point in time, whenever that day of wrath comes, it won't be quietly. I mean, the whole world will know that God's judgment is coming, coming down. So how will this truth change your life? Well, I think you'll be more grateful for God's grace. When you think about this truth of judgment and destruction, we should be more grateful for the grace of God in Christ. The fourth truth is that Jesus is coming back to rule and reign forever and ever. This is the, the theme of the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back. We saw in, in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who are pierced, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And if you'll turn to chapter 19, we actually see this return of Christ being described here. Go to chapter 19, verse 11. 
chapter 19, verse 11, return of Christ. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow, what a scene. You know, before that scene, uh, we see some great rejoicing going on in the beginning of chapter 19. So just go back to chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. This is sort of a high point of the book of Revelation where God is finally coming to accomplish the rescue and to begin the restoration, and heaven is excited. And so you have the, the, what's called the four hallelujahs. Have you ever heard of the hallelujah chorus? Is there anybody here that would like to sing that for us right now? Because I could really... No? Seth, you ready? You're not ready to go on that one? All right, maybe sometime. Joshua will have to work that in sometime. But this is where the hallelujah chorus comes from. As a matter of fact, Handel's Messiah is like a 267-page score, uses over 70 verses from the Old Testament and over 40 verses from the New Testament. So if you've never listened to that, you can learn a lot of Scripture by just listening to Handel's Messiah and the hallelujah chorus. So how will this truth change your life? Well, you'll anticipate the Lord's return with great joy. Heaven rejoiced. And if we're setting our mind on the things above, then we should rejoice as well. Yeah, you don't have to wait until that day to rejoice, by the way. You can start right now if you want to. Yeah, just this, this very minute. I mean, don't worry that you're kind of expected to be quiet sitting here and listen to somebody do a monologue. I mean, if you're ready to rejoice and you need to, just go ahead and let it rip. It's okay. All right, here's the fifth truth. Satan, sin, and death will be completely and forever defeated. 
That's a good one. I can live with that. Look at chapter 20, verse 7 through 15. And when the thousand years are ended, thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, the place of the dead, gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, what's sometimes called the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So Satan, sin, unrighteous, sinful people who have not received the grace of God, and death itself will be completely and forever defeated. So how should this truth change your life? It should help you live more like victors instead of victims. You're on the winning team. Things may be hard now at times, and especially for our brothers and sisters in other countries who are being tortured, put to death for their faith. But eventually, Satan, sin, and death are going to be finally and forever defeated. And that should cause us to remember that, no, we're not the victims. In Christ, we're victors. We're overcomers. Sometimes God helps us to overcome a situation and he removes it from us. Sometimes he walks with us through it. But whatever the case might be, or even with our brother James who passed away a few days ago, he is in the presence of Christ right now. He's living victoriously. Just as Christ conquered death, James in Christ has conquered death. The sixth truth in Revelation I saw was this. God is going to restore all things beyond our imagination. You could even read Revelation and try to understand exactly what's going to happen, but, you know, no eye can conceive it. No mind can comprehend how God is going to restore. And that's the fourth part of the, of the story, restoration. Uh, go to chapter 21. Look at the first five verses. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In verse 4, pay attention, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. That happens now in a person's life, but there will be a day when this will happen to the total universe. It will all be made new. And those things that we struggle with now that hold us back, that cause us pain, cause us doubt, help us to feel depressed at times and melancholy and, you know, when is it going to end? Kind of a, none of those things will exist anymore. Look at chapter 22. Then the angel, first, uh, first verse, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street and of the city also. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. How should this truth change your life? should give you more hope for the future. To know that the things that we struggle with here on this earth, that what Jesus said, you know, in the world you're going to have tribulation but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Those things that sometimes get the best of us now, they won't at that point in time. We'll be overcomers, victorious, and that should fill us with hope to keep going, to persevere under trial, to recognize God has a purpose in his sanctification plan for each of us that we're going through the things that he allows them into our life for the purpose, but he wants us to always have hope. In reading books like this that give us clear prophecy of God, what God is going to do in the future. To know that God has fulfilled so many prophecies in the Old Testament have been fulfilled through Christ. And now the things that we're reading are going to be fulfilled as well. Why? Because God is a faithful God. He never lies. What he says is true. You can take it to the bank. You can count on it. It's done. You know, in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve walked with God. They were in the presence of God. But as a result of the fall, they had to leave God's presence in the garden. But the promise was made of the seed of the woman that would crush 
the head of the serpent, the head of Satan, and rescue us. And so when Christ came and died in our place, the curtain of the temple was rent from top to bottom, indicating that our fellowship with God and with Christ had been restored. And one day in the eternal state, God is going to dwell among his people again. Restoration accomplished. The story has ended. But I've got one more truth, because you never end with six. You always go for God's perfect number of seven. So, the seventh truth is like the fourth one, except it adds something. The seventh truth is that Jesus is coming back. That was point number four. But he's coming back soon. Look at chapter 22, verse 6 and 7. 22, 6 and 7. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecies of this book. Now, I don't pretend to know what soon means, but it's gonna, it means it's going to come quickly. It's going to come like a thief in the night. So with that in mind, I think we better be ready. I don't think we should just put it off and think, well, he didn't really mean soon. He just meant sometime, some point. I'll tap you on the shoulder when it's going to. No, we should be ready soon, and we should keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Look at verse 12, chapter 22. Behold, I am coming when? Soon. Yeah. Go down to verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. You know when the Scripture says something three times, it's definitely going to happen. He's coming back soon. So how should that truth change your life? It should make you a more faithful steward of your time, talents, and treasures as you anticipate the Lord's return. You know, it's these truths that I think changed James' life. As I watched him in the last year or so of his life, and I saw him cling to these truths, his life changed and was transformed before us. And these truths can transform your life as well. Read the book of Revelation. Read it and heed the truth contained therein. Let's pray.